0: You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 128. This episode of The Local Maximum is sponsored by Ryan, Raw Internet Object Notation. You might not think that you're in the market for data formats, but you are. And Ryan by NanoSci is a new data format, and later in the show, we'll talk about why you might want to check it out. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. You've reached another Local Maximum. Welcome to the show. Today is another news update, the, let's call it the July news update. I'm joined, of course, by Aaron. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Greetings, fellow listeners. Well, uh, today, when this goes out, it will be Monday, July uh, 20th. And that means that New York City is now going to be on, unless they change it this weekend, is going to be on Phase (laughs) 4 of the reopening of the city. And they're very triumphant about these different phases. Phase four is the last phase, but now... Thank goodness uh, they
1: call it phase because if they call it stage four, it would sound like a cancer diagnosis.
0: Well, yeah, so phase four is the last phase, but now it's just like, oh, there are still different things that we're keeping open and closed. We're just not calling them phases. Now we're just arbitrarily making rules.
1: Some Someday we will be unfazed.
0: Yeah, uh, so there's still going to be um, you're still not going to be allowed to do an indoor, you know, indoor food or anything like that. Um, gyms, still out of the question, um, and a number of other things. Uh, well, so I,
1: I think we're in like 3A here in Massachusetts, oh which my God. includes most of that stuff in some form or another.
0: You have letters and numbers?
1: I think, I, I, to be honest, I haven't gone out much, so I haven't paid that much attention to it. But I, I believe that... Gyms and rest in restaurants, uh, you know, eating indoors have opened up with, with special requirements. Right,
0: right. They're just they're skipping that for New York City for now. Um, New York. I've been traveling around. New York does look a little bit better than it has been. Um, not quite back to normal, of course. Uh, that you know, all Manhattan is completely emptied out because, uh, which in some cases is good, you know, because all the people who Manhattan, a lot of the population are the people who work there every day, and since they're not coming in, it's so empty. Um, so I have a little news, a personal news. Uh, in a couple weeks, I'll be moving out of Brooklyn to Manhattan, and that's sort of uh, a big deal. I don't know. I really love the idea of living in Brooklyn, and it's been great for a while. Um, it hasn't been so great the last few months, and you know, the last couple years, I've been a little, you know, uh, this neighborhood has not been ideal, but I think it could get better again. But anyway, that's where I'm at.
1: It's exciting. It's, well, could be exciting to be back in the in the heart of the city, but uh, time. I, I'm will excited
0: tell. about it, but I I, uh, I am I'm I'm sad to leave the Brooklyn. Uh, I don't know. Brooklyn has a special type of creativity and personality uh, that uh, Manhattan just doesn't have.
1: Well, and, and it, it well, I was gonna say it's it's always a short subway ride away, uh, but I I don't know how soon you're gonna be riding oh, sure. the subway again.
0: No, no, but um, I'll be, I'll be a short taxi ride or, or car ride or whatever I'm going to do. I've had a car car here the last uh, few months, and now I kind of want to keep it, uh, and we'll see if I can make that happen. Sounds good. So speaking about human migration patterns, um, and maybe this will segue into some Uh, urban data science we're not going to actually go into urban data science today but I feel like we've talked about that on the show and urban data science can help explain some of this stuff but I want to talk about an article in the Wall Street Journal because it actually highlighted the town where we grew up the town of Weston so uh, basically the, the, uh, the, the title of the article is Connecticut Suburbs uh, well, actually, let me uh, open up this uh, because I was just trying to read the URL. It's uh, Connecticut's big bet on the suburbs that might finally pay off. And just to give a little uh, background, the idea was, uh, yeah, you know, Connecticut says, hey, we're great for those of you who live in New York and uh, but, uh, you know, you, you want to move out to Connecticut Move out to Connecticut, but then it turned out in recent years that people want to live in New York, people want to live in the big city, they don't want to live in Connecticut. And now that there's been this pandemic, people want to live in uh, Connecticut again, uh, is the idea. Maybe this is very temporary, Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, But, um, you know, we've talked about the idea of a technological driven changed migration patterns most notably I, I kind of consider the 1950s and 1970s were moved to the suburbs when it's, or it's or even a little bit f- before that we kind of think of 1950s because it's post-war but even before that when you know the cars uh, people started having their cars so the, the the suburbs started getting built because you had that ability to travel in and out a lot more easily or to travel around uh, the suburbs a bit more easily like, yeah, for example, I, and, in,
1: and the the Great Depression and the war years certainly put a damper on any of of, of that in a meaningful fashion but but yeah sure. as soon as the war was over um you you had all the gi's coming back uh starting their families and and the baby boom and uh they they a lot of them uh you know spread out into it it was it was a combination of the cities couldn't necessarily support all of those people but also that uh with with a such a large group of people starting families and wanting to buy a home, that you get the explosion in kind of tract housing, uh, the the whole ticky tacky uh, houses. They all look the same thing. a yeah. lot of, of sub developments and and uh, not just the advent of the suburbs, but the whole suburban sprawl concept uh, really grew out of that and uh, may have had its ups and downs, but it never really stopped.
0: Yeah. And the, the like, the quintessential example is always Long Island, more than Connecticut, uh, mm. because. Uh, but um, I. But anyway, this that, that trend is true. I think in most places in the world, most of the developing world, like if you go to Europe, uh, they probably had a very similar situation happening, or in, yeah, in, in Asia as well. Um, I, I was about to say, say that exactly China might
1: be the exception to that, but it's I, I don't have enough transparency there. I just know that they're building a ridiculous amount of huge cities with with uh, intense urban density, but that doesn't mean that they aren't also seeing an explosion in, in suburban development.
0: Right. Right. So anyway, I feel like, uh, the development since then we've had ebbs and flows to and from the city, but they haven't been as dramatic as had occurred in those years. And that's why I go back to those years. So the question is,
1: I think when we were living there, my impression, and and I don't have statistics to back this up, but it it seemed like, you know, maybe 50% of the, uh, the, the working folks, in, in town uh, commuted into New York City, uh, and the other half maybe worked more locally. But, but that it, it, w- it wasn't purely a bedroom community. Not everybody drove to the train station every morning. Sure. But it was a significant uh, section of the, of the population. I,
0: I really would not want to do that. I mean, that's an hour on the train plus getting to the train on both sides. I mean, I know we moved there because my dad had a job in, in town, in, in Connecticut. And so if it was just a job in the city... We would have stayed on Long Island. Yeah, well, um, I, I, I
1: sure. think I think it was a gradual process to to some extent that a lot of companies um, were working in in the city, and people would move out to the the closer suburbs, uh, you know, in you know your your Greenwich and and maybe a little bit further out than that, uh, and they'd say, oh, I really like it here. And then when they went and started their own companies, they would start companies, you know, based in in Stanford or something, and so it kind of. Right. Spread out the web a little bit further, and so it became a lot easier for for people, particularly I would say in the finance industry, uh, to spread across southwestern Connecticut.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that concerns me. Is I, you know, I'd like to move out, and get more space at some point, but could I have you know that creative job um, while doing that? And so, you know, there are a few things I consider. One. I could podcast from anywhere. I could probably podcast a lot more easily out there. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be a, a plus. And I don't know, maybe now I can work something out where I, I could have a job that's in the city if I can't find uh, something that I want to do in Connecticut that, uh, where I don't have to go in every day. Uh, but uh, one of the uh, quotes that stuck out of me in Neighboring Weston, I think they were talking about Wilton or Westport or something, but the article had a lot more on Weston. In neighboring Weston, many homes are tucked far back from the road behind the low stone walls familiar uh, throughout New England. Yeah, we remember that. Uh, <laughs> real estate agent Vicki Kelly recently sold a $1.2 million home still under construction to a family relocating from Brooklyn. They're probably right around the corner here. Uh, their need, she said, two home offices. <laughs> Never going to get that in New York City. Yeah, I'm well, and, and, and I one. can
1: tell you uh, as somebody who, in a household with uh, two adults working remotely for the last several months, uh, my wife definitely has uh, office envy. Uh, although her, when when I offered to to let her set up in my office, uh, it, it kind of backfired because the kids just chased her in here too. But, so,
0: but you you still have two rooms. Yeah, like we, two we have
1: separate. we have plenty of space, even if if there aren't, uh, you know specifically designated two home offices. Yeah, We, I mean, we have I the, the flexibility.
0: Like, I'm, I mean, I'm literally living in one room here. Yeah, we're, uh,
1: we're not working with the, the actual physical space constraints Yeah, yeah. that, that uh, New York real estate uh, imposes upon you. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean,
0: it's mean, an interesting question on whether this sticks or whether this is a long-term trend. Uh, I feel like a lot of cities across the country have really, um, ha- have really not been – well-run, and I don't want to get too much into the the politics of it, but uh, New York City has not been well-run. When I moved in, I felt like uh, the city was, well, we had Michael Bloomberg as mayor, you know, love him or hate him, but he was bringing new businesses into the cities. He was always bringing more developments in, and there was always, like, you know, less crime, and, um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's I'm seeing through rose-colored glasses, but I felt like every year I saw... Uh, an improvement. And, and now, uh, now it's just turned 360 and I don't know, or 180. And I don't know if this is just a New York thing or if this is a trend nationwide or even, uh, worldwide.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little tricky to separate, separate out the trend lines there. And, and is, is it something unique to New York? Is it all cities or, or is it, uh, an issue that we're seeing not restricted to the urban areas as well? Are some of those same challenges, uh, be being being faced in the more rural areas and just not getting nearly as much coverage. I I've got two thoughts that I want to throw out on this and d- not discuss at all. So I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna okay. state them and move on. But uh, cool. The so so you mentioned that, that the the big move to the suburbs seemed to to happen in you know the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 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 we also you know kind of kicking off in in the late 40s. Um, right. the, so so this is uh, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not gonna put causation behind this, but that that, that movement uh, aligns with uh, something that that's sometimes referred to as white flight uh, with a lot of the uh, middle and upper class uh, Caucasian families moving out of the cities uh, strongly correlated with both the civil rights movement and increased civil unrest. Um, two things that again are, are not necessarily uh, one causing the other, but, but have a strong correlation with each other. Um, so is is that perhaps a similar motivation to what we're seeing now, uh, and uh, kind of the flip side of that? We've been hearing for at least a decade, maybe maybe more than that. Uh, a lot of this this talk about the extreme gentrification, especially in places like Brooklyn, uh, and uh, is is this the the pendulum swinging the other way? Is is the uh, gentrification movement functionally over, and we're going to see uh, the suburbs taking? Up a lot of that that momentum, uh, or or are these two trends that can can continue to happen simultaneously, and they're completely decoupled?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, if 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 those are the the trends, I wouldn't be, I I personally would not be very happy with it. I mean, it, it might be, but it's it's it would be very sad. I like living in a um, diverse community with uh, people who. Come from all over the world, and who have many different backgrounds, and who have uh, you know many different ideas, like whether it's whether it's you know going around looking at the the food or the cultural activities, or uh, you know just the people I work with, and you lose a lot of that in the in, in the suburb. I guess there are some more diverse suburbs, and it feels like um, I don't know. We're almost destroying this diversity in the name of diversity, yeah, well, and
1: and not necessarily uh, to focus on racial diversity, but uh, a perhaps a different kind of diversity is there's there's one particular group that is pretty poorly represented in communities like Weston and some of those other uh, similar suburbs, particularly in, in, in Connecticut, uh, and that's twenty somethings uh, hmm. that. that Nobody who is between the, the phase of I'm living with my parents and going to school and the phase of I've decided to settle down and buy a home and start a family uh, is is going to be drawn to live in these places because yeah. they tend to have uh, the, all, all the things that are exciting about living in the city, the culture, the nightlife, uh, all that stuff. The, the bohemian lifestyle is not a major factor, um, it, at least in, in kind of the outer suburbs. Um, and, and so you don't have uh, – some of the people who who might be most involved in some of the uh, the disruptive activism living in those communities, uh, yeah, and, and I, that certainly has up, uh, pluses and minuses to go along with it.
0: I really hope that this could be seen as a time, uh, like you know, uh, that the, there could be an opportunity for like an urban renewal, like because things have been being built up for for many many years, and now with this pandemic, uh, city living has just gotten to be. Um, you know, really bad just with the pandemic uh, itself. And then, you know, now here in New York, we see such an increase in crime and uh, graffiti and other vandalism. uh, And it doesn't feel like it should be that hard to get back on track. And I don't know, if this pandemic is over, and it's in the rearview mirror in a few years, and um, uh, a lot of the 30, 40 forty-somethings have moved out. If I'm someone who's just graduated from college and the rents have come down, I don't know. Maybe it would be a, a good time to move back into the city.
1: Yeah, well, and it's it's the same thing that that you saw with with gentrification uh, in the in the previous uh, uh, kind of cycle. That uh, it was it was adventurous, you know, young people moving into the the more dangerous neighborhoods and making a go of it. And maybe maybe that's not going to be a question of. You know, a rundown, uh, you know, former tenement, it's going to be, oh, you're 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 really taking the risks, getting some of that cheap real estate in the in the covid zone. Uh, and and it'll pay off big in a couple of years when that's not an issue anymore.
0: Yeah, could be um, it. It's um, yeah. All right. Uh, we we, we, we could move on from that. I, could, I was thinking of whether I wanted to go into a whole history of what said, it was there, like, what my grandparents to say, told but I, me. I, I, I don't yeah. know
1: if there's, there's more constructive we can give to that discussion yeah. at this point.
0: Uh, I'll talk about all the things that my grandfather told me about old Brooklyn, but I'll, I could do that another time. <laughs> um, that would be interesting, but I don't, think, I don't think we have time for that. I want to tell you about Ryan Rion, R-I-O-N, Raw Internet Object Notation. Uh, I'm very thankful for them to sponsor the Local Maximum. You might think that you don't use data formats, but you do. If you're a software engineer or data scientist, uh, guess what? You are in the market for data formats. How you store and transfer your data can make your life easier or it can make your life harder. It can make it uh, faster or slower. It can be more expensive or less expensive. So if you want to learn more about data formats and make some improvements, I encourage you to check out RION, Raw Internet Object Notation. If you need to export, import, store, or exchange large amounts of data on a regular basis, then you can benefit from a compact, fast, and versatile data format. Ryan is a binary data format which is both compact and fast to read and write. A data structure serialized to Rion requires, on average, 20 to 50 percent fewer bytes than the same data structure serialized to JSON. The fewer bytes also translates into 20 to 50 percent faster read and write speeds. You can learn more about it at tutorials.jenkov.com/rion. Also, localmaxradio.com/128. Now back to today's fascinating discussion. We're talking about trends today that were pre-existing trends, but have been heightened because of all of the craziness of 2020. Another one are these Amazon ghost stores. Now, we talked about these Amazon ghost stores, I think, before, uh, whether it was uh, in our tech retreat um, episodes where we were making predictions. Uh, it turns out, yes, this is Going to keep going. Not a huge surprise. Amazon Go will keep expanding. And for those of you who have not used an Amazon Go store, I'm telling you, I've used it. It will. Um, it is a magical experience. You go in, you take what you want, you leave. Now, before you go in, you have to open an app and scan it. So that's kind of annoying. But look, the most annoying thing in recent, um, you know, in recent months to me has been going into a store, being like, I know exactly what I want, getting the things. And then waiting online, having them try to bag it for you. They, you have to touch everything. And well, no, so they, so they the have Amazon to touch Go
1: stores, them. are those yeah. l- literally no cashier, like no staff involved? Or are there staff there, you just don't have to interact with them?
0: You don't have to interact with them. There's like a person standing there to answer questions. Okay. And maybe to watch you. But the one in, um, the one in Brookfield Place, I think only had one person there when i when i when i was there and i i don't think it was i don't think they really need security because brookfield place sort of has very good security to begin with it's like the the mall uh so i it was really just one person to like if you have trouble with the app or there are probably a lot of people like like me the first time i went in what you mean i could just take it out and and i don't have (laughs) to do anything like you you sort of go to that person you ask them Like, the first time you look over there and you ask them, like, is this okay? Am I stealing? You know, (laughs) (laughs) is this really going to be pop up three minutes later that I took X, Y, and Z? And how does it know um, what I took? And so, it is is pretty amazing. I think it will save people a lot of time. And I think it's something that people are going to want to use now. And it could increase interactions. Like, I don't know. They'll still have someone there to chat to if you want to chat. But it'll just be more seamless. And so there are 26 Amazon Go stores currently. They're expanding now into Washington, D.C. and Seattle, which happen to be Amazon headquarters. Um, And then uh, now they have this shopping cart, which I'm a little bit more skeptical of. The store itself maybe is amazing, but um, there's an article in The Verge about a a smart shopping cart they have. And so... Does it make sense? I don't know. Let me read the quote. The store first confirmed last year is not an Amazon Go store. That's the one with the shopping cart in. Uh, meaning it does not have the camera sensors and others' equipment built into the city ceiling for automatically detecting items you take off the shelves. Instead, this is your standard everyday grocery store. It only has smart Amazon-made grocery carts for you to use. So this is not the Amazon Go store that I had. You could basically take three or four things off the shelf and walk out of it. So there's no cart. You don't have... A giant bag of stuff. This is more, again, a, a suburban setting. I imagine where you have a, a, a large shopping cart of stuff. Um, maybe it works. Uh, I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, a couple of thoughts on this. So it seems like it's kind of a hybrid model. So we're not we're not completely cashierless here, but it gives you the option to go cashierless. Um, the other thing is that this. There was some mention in the article of the ability to scale, in which I, I think they were talking in terms of that of going from, like, you know, bodega-sized store to, like, Target-sized store. Right. That, that maybe maybe getting all the camera coverage and everything for that is is tricky. But I was thinking more in terms of uh, it's a lot easier to roll out a fleet of smart shopping carts to your local supermarket and all of a sudden, boom, it's Amazon-compatible, rather than having to shut the store down for a couple of months to do renovations and put all the cameras in and set up the, you know, the, the, the server room and back or, or however they, they run it. Uh, this, this could <laughs> why be, why is it
0: when you talked about shutting the store for a couple months, I was like, flatten well, the curve, shut it down. But,
1: but this, this could practically be done overnight, you know, just roll the carts off the truck and yeah. the next morning you're, you're, you uh, you know, Amazon cart compatible. Um, and this, this could be particularly useful if they decided that they don't want to go full hog into the market of competing with, you know, Uh, Walmart is one of the largest grocery sellers in the country. Uh, You've got, you know, Stop and Shop uh, and uh, at least up here in Massachusetts, Market Basket and a lot of other significant chains. Star Market. Didn't you guys have Star Market when I was there? Star Market is now part of. of,
0: uh... Are they part of Stop and Shop? Oh, man, my my. Massachusetts there was Living a there was a old. merger
1: and I've okay. I've lost track of what it is but gotcha. but but yeah there there are a bunch of different chains and I think I wouldn't be surprised if Amazon has decided that that with their Whole Foods line they they're they're comfortable with that niche but they don't want to compete against everybody. However, uh, if they can get their competition to use Amazon carts, then not only can they have their own niche that they make money in, but then they can get their competition to pay the money. So this this is like when. Uh, Barnes and Noble started. Was it Barnes and Noble or maybe it was Borders? Uh, didn't have their own online store, and they were literally using Amazon to sell their books online. So there could have been What, what became just, their biggest competitor yeah. uh, was getting a cut of all of their online sales. Mm. Um, so, so this this could be the approach that Amazon is taking there with these carts because uh, it's it's not a new technology. Like you said, there's there's the Amazon Go store, but on the other side of the coin, uh, I'm sure we've all had. Uh, probably frustrating experiences with self-checkout at a supermarket. Yeah. Um, there's also some stores that have um, instead of it being a cart that, that you bring around with you there, there's like a little little scanner gun that you can bring around when you're shopping and you scan things as you put them into your cart. And then you can, you check it all out in one go instead of having to have, you know, take everything out and hand them to the the person working in the register. Uh, but, but it sounds like this is a much more frictionless uh, you know, kind of slicker approach to, to solving that same problem. And, Amazon uh, has made, you know, billions, perhaps trillions of dollars on making things just the tiniest bit more efficient and uh, and capturing the market that way. So this, I, I think, it would be very on brand for them. Um, my my frustration is is that sometimes uh, a person just makes the process easier. Um, the classic example, I mean, we, I mean, we've already talked about self checkout at stores. Uh, yeah, it's But, so, but also, is... ATMs at banks. It's, I, I feel like they built a, a, a poorly performing machine to do the job of a human and removed almost all of the humans from, from my list of options. So now what would have otherwise been, you know, go to the cashier and say... Uh, I want to deposit this, you know, this envelope of, of cash uh, and, and I would like to, I don't know, withdraw X amount in these denominations and they just do it. Now I've got to feed bills into a machine one at a time and tell it exactly what I want and I want to deposit, you know, these six checks and i got to put each check in and then tell the computer, no, you scanned the amount wrong and correct it. And it it may be net that it actually is faster to
0: use yeah. automated well, systems like I this. Well, now I do that stuff. But it feels at more at home, frustrating. Yeah. I mean, now I just do that. We could do that stuff at home, so it's like yeah. Well,
1: but but but, even there, they've they've offloaded onto you, and now what what they would have otherwise paid a person to do for you, you're now paying with your own time to do.
0: Yeah, but I can tell you with the Amazon Go store, like it's not just that you're doing it on your own. They completely like you don't have to do anything. Yeah, that's
1: that's that's the ideal approach here. Yeah, that not not only is is there not. You know, a cashier doing that job. It's that you don't have to do that job either. <laughs> right, right. right. Um, a lot
0: of places are like, you do that job, and then yeah, well, it's, you're it's sitting like, there uh, trying to scan your stuff, and it's like, uh, mo- put that most stores back don't on the have... backing area. Take it off the backing area. <laughs> what are you doing with the backing area? No more bags. Uh, like, and well, then, then, e- like, yeah. E- even at the human
1: checkout, uh, when we were growing up, it was pretty standard that there would be the person working the cashier, and then there would be you know a bag boy who no. bagged your groceries yes. and put them in the car. And that is very much the exception to the rule now. You, if, if there's somebody bagging your groceries, it's because they, they have too many people working the shift by accident.
0: <laughs> Do we have – so I, I've got to, I, I, if we have a second for an aside, because <laughs> one thing that I've been doing, I usually shop at these bodegas here and take them home, but because I have access to a car now and because of everything that's going on, one of the things that I've been doing is taking the car out at night driving 30 minutes to Long Island to go to like a big stop and shop and then loading the car up with groceries. Um, and so, but I, I'm not used to it. So I went there, I loaded the car up and I have to scan everything and then bag everything. And then I scan it and then it goes onto conveyor belt and everything starts piling up against each other. And then I try <laughs> to take the bags, but they're out of bags at this one area. So I have to go to the other guy's area to take bags. And I, I, Horrible at bagging them. I'm like trying to get the uh, like all the all the seltzers in one place, but then they all fall out, and the bag is like a little bottom heavy. And that
1: that is that is one of my biggest pet peeves with the self checkout. And I I, yeah, I probably whined about this before, Uh, but. I'm not a big soda drinker, but I I have a regular... Well, before the pandemic, I had a regular weekly event that I was responsible for bringing snacks to. And so I always had to bring soda. So I'd go to the store and I'd pick up, you know, a couple of two liter bottles and self-checkout and you put it on the conveyor belt. And it's like, oh, would you like me to... Roll the soda down the conveyor belt so that it's nice <laughs> and shaken up before you put it in the bag.
0: Yeah, no. Not only was that happening, but it was rolling in the opposite direction for some reason. <laughs> so the conveyor belt was pushing it on, but it was rolling up the conveyor belt somehow. I don't know how that happened. So it took forever for it to come down. Uh,
1: well, it, we we could we could rant on this for a while, but there there there. Are two I just learned of I this last week. <laughs> there, there, there are two things here. So so right now. In, in this system that's not completely frictionless, but but it sounds like it's reducing the friction. It comes down to a question of is is your desire to to avoid dealing with a human being uh, stronger than your 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 tolerance for dealing with a a system that's that's not, uh, you know, completely smooth. Uh, be, because any anytime not... you have a deviation from like the the most ideal use case, the system starts to break down. Uh, so,
0: so the things
1: that we were talking about there. Um, I think it's right not now just with dealing oh, with ahead. a
0: human being, though, it's also waiting in line with other people and being in front of someone yeah. who has to debate the cashier for ten minutes whether they can use a twenty-five cent coupon. And and, um, and
1: none of those things are are new, uh, yeah. but they're all ex- exacerbated by by the the current pandemic. Right, uh, and, and and I would say that right now. Uh, I would probably be willing to deal with a little bit of technological hassle to to reduce my direct interaction with complete strangers in a supermarket. Um, yeah,
0: maybe it's just labor is becoming, you know, so expensive yeah, that well, you like know the, the, there's like it, it, there's only one cashier lane open and you know. Well, yeah, that, that's it,
1: that's part of the the problem. The frustration is is that uh, that that causes longer lines and more backup. Yeah, uh, and and all things that make it slightly more desirable to, to go down this other path. Right. Um, a
0: place that I like going to a uh, pre pandemic was um, uh whole foods. I would chat it down to a science, I guess they, cause yeah. they are Amazon, but it, it, it does get pretty crowded in there. And yes, you have to wait online for sometimes a pretty long time here in the city.
1: Yeah. I, so I, I, I guess two, two things to mention on that. And both of them are about actually gas stations that, um, the last time I put gas in the car, which uh, with the amount of driving I've been doing, a tank of gas lasts a long time right now. But uh, it was the first time I used uh, contactless payment, which I've had the ability to do it for a long time. Uh, but but normally I, I just, you know, would take my credit card and stick it in the machine because that's the way I've always did it. But but I use the little, you know, swipe it by the, the I don't know if it's RFID or, or, or what it uses to do that. Uh, and, and so that was pretty slick is, you know, one less thing for me to worry about sanitizing uh, when I get back in the car. Um, and so I think little tricks like that are, are getting used a lot right now, and uh, people are going to be more likely to continue doing that when we come out the other end of this. On that same note, I'm shocked that uh, a gas station, uh, a, you know, a, a, a chain of gas stations hasn't come up with a way to completely automate the, the refueling. So maybe, maybe not uh, go full service like in New Jersey where you don't even have to get out of the car. Although if they could do that with robots, that would be cool. Um, but to completely remove the, the payment step out of it, because uh, they've already got cameras all over the gas station because they're watching to make sure that nobody you know, gases up and, and, and scams out of there without paying or, or anything else. Uh, why can't they use the camera to look at your license plate? Because every car has a way of tracking it back to its owner and then ha- tie that you know, that identification through license plate. To either a credit card or a bank account or something, and bill that directly, uh, and and just make that a completely you know seamless transaction phase. That that maybe now that Amazon is getting into the grocery store business, a lot of grocery stores will have, uh, on the larger scale at least, will have a gas station attached to them. Maybe they'll experiment in this area, um, and yeah. and they've got the experience with robots that they could literally make it so you never have to get out of your car.
0: <laughs> and, and paying with paying at the gas station can be a pain too. I mean, using those. Machine. I mean, nowadays, obviously, taking out your credit card and touching all the buttons and stuff is
1: exactly, uh, yeah, yeah, or, and, or or even worse. And, and and I haven't had this happen in a while, thank thank goodness. But it seems inevitably, there's one pump where the the machine doesn't work properly, and you know, it's you, you try and scan it and you punch it, and it's, oh yeah. no, you got to go in and see the cashier. It's like oh, the the whole point was of, of trying to do this here was so that I didn't have to go inside and deal with a person. And, I love, yeah, it says and, see and the cashier and, and then you go to the cashier
0: or, and there's a line of like three people there yeah, or, trying to or, buy soda, trying to buy cherry Coke. And and this is truly first world problems,
1: but I, I don't like <laughs> having to tell them, you know, put put $20 on pump three. It's no, I want to fill up the tank and it's going to cost what it costs. Don't don't make me go in and set an amount. And then if it's, you know, the tank fills up at $19, you got to come back in and try and get a dollar from you. Or if it stops at 20 and I really need $25 worth of gas, I got to do a second transaction, but again, you know, first world problems.
0: I know it sounds like first world problems, but really reducing this friction of life uh, is a big business opportunity. And it really does make a difference in the aggregate. Um, You know, when you feel confident that you could just run in and out and and do things, it really does change the number of things that you can get done during the day or the number of things you have to think about during the day.
1: And a lot of gas stations I feel like now are, uh you know run with a single attendant who's who's kind of overseeing everything uh for for a you know a a owner operated business there may not be the incentive but for uh some of the big chains if they can completely roboticize that uh and and not even need an attendant there twenty four seven uh that could be a huge savings um, well, then, know, if,
0: if then we're into if, back to the future
1: yeah well and, and you know if, if if mobile can you know have have uh one guy sitting in a, you know, in a in a in a command center somewhere, watching you know a dozen gas stations on video cameras and and running those. Think that's that's a, that's that's pennies on the gallon that they can pass back to this the consumer in savings. <laughs>
0: All right. So that is today's discussion. There's a lot of angles to be covered on life today as it intersects with technological and social trends, particularly with the future of our urban centers and our not-so-urban centers. Uh, that will be a big theme in the 2020s, I think, and it'll be a big thing, theme on the local maximum as we continue the show. Uh, One follow up to this, basically, as we were discussing it, the Antifa militants were breaking into the Amazon Go store uh, in Seattle. I guess not everyone likes it. I guess it, uh, I I hate to say it, but the one thought I had was whether they sent the bill afterwards uh, through their Amazon app, if any of them had the app installed. But in all seriousness, you know, this says something about the issues we're facing today. It must look from the outside that our cities are just imploding. And even though uh, these things are going on only in certain select areas, you also have the pandemic. where are living closer together is tough, and I'm hoping there's a way out of this uh, when the pandemic ends. In order, uh, you know, maybe order can be restored on the streets, and maybe uh, maybe city life can resume one day. It's hard to see how this ends and what the long-term effects is going to be. I'd like to know what you think specifically on the trends on city and country living as we head into the 2020s and also about these automated shopping solutions like Amazon Go stores. The email to weigh in is localmaxradio at gmail.com. I'm uh, working on some of your emails already. Um, I know some of you waited on the Electoral College. I'll be getting to that. If you can't, Tell we continued the conversation that I had with Aaron, which you'll hear sometime in the next couple of weeks. I might try to sneak in an interview. We talked about the physicist Lawrence Krauss, who wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal about the corruption of science. We talked about some AI developments, and also you know whether there's a role or you know what is the role for the engineer for the creator in in terms of ethics and activism and and that sort of stuff. So very important to listen to that. Make sure you say stay subscribed. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to the Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account at Max Sklar. Have a great week! It'll feel the power.